section twenty eight of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain book two chapter nine anthony trollope's mrs prudy if i have not yet said that i think anthony trollope the most english of the english novelists i will do so now of course jane austen and george eliot might dispute this primacy with him but both would fail in the comparison the one because she was too witty and the other because she was too wise faithfully to mirror the british spirit the perpetual play of delicate sarcasm in jane austen's books is as alien to the heavy sincerity of that simple soul as the deep psychological implications of george eliot's but the make and the manner of trollope are exactly interpretative of it all is plain and open in his work if there is any cutting or thrusting it is not such as leaves the subject to shake itself before it realizes a wound if there is any philosophizing it is not of the accusing sort which makes the reader feel the fault or the fate of the character as bound with him and yet trollope was a true humorist and as i have already insisted a profound moralist he surpassed the only contemporaries worthy to be named with him in very essential things as far as he surpassed those true great women in keeping absolutely the level of the english nature he was a greater painter of manners than thackeray because he was neither a sentimentalist nor a caricaturist and he was of a more convincing imagination than dickens because he knew and employed the probable facts in the case and kept himself free of all fantastic contrivances one he was the author of more books than dickens and many more than thackeray but in the number of his creations he fell below either because of his habit acquired from thackeray of carrying the personages of one book into another thackeray did this with some half a dozen prominent people major dobbin of vanity fair reappears in pendennis pendennis reappears in philip and beatrix esmond of esmond reappears in the virginians and so on but trollope's principal books are all bound together by the continuity of the principal characters we have again and again the duke of omnium and his congeners dr thorne and his kindred and connections come and go through different novels and the barchester series is a warp in which the same pattern of figures and faces is carried through from the beginning to the end the grantleys the hardings the dales the eameses the omniums the robartses the luftons the crawleys and above all the prudies there is a fascination which every writer of fiction will own in recurring to a type once studied but the novelist indulges this fancy at some risk of tiring his readers the fact that he had tired his readers with mrs prudy was brought rudely home to trollope one day at his club where he overheard the sighs and groans 
of a man who was sick of her at finding her again in the novelist's current story trollope says that he then and there resolved to kill her and in that very story he made an end of her but it seems to me that his resolution censured both the art and the courage of the novelist who should have had a faith in himself and his work superior to his sense of any reader's impatience and should have been above suffering dictation from it it is certain however that he lost heart and put an end to the admirable she was artistically most admirable creature of his invention to the lasting loss of all lovers of the true if not the beautiful i will not be sure which book one first meets mrs prudy in one seems after meeting her to have known her always but she pervades the whole barchester series with her searching and persistent personality mrs prudy is not merely a shrew and a scold though she is a shrew and does scold the bishop dreadfully and put him to shame before those who should believe him master in his house and office it is less her ambition than her nature to govern and she cannot help extending her domain from the bishop to the diocese and meddling in things which it is mischievous as well as indecorous for her to concern herself with but in all this she is mainly of a conscientious zeal she has done so much to forward the fortunes of her husband and to promote his rise from among the inferior clergy to a spiritual lordship that she cannot help arrogating power and attributing merit to herself in the management of his affairs she has her strong likes and dislikes and with other women she has her spites and jealousies she wishes sometimes to put these women under her feet and to trample on them after she has got them there but though she makes her husband so unhappy and ashamed she does not mean to do so or rather she would not do so if she could have her way without doing so the great thing however is to have her way and whatever hinders her having it is for that sufficient reason wrong and wicked the bishop himself poor little weak yielding man is wrong and at least wickedly led when he opposes her and in her great struggle with his clergy in the case of josiah crawley the perpetual curate of hogglestock she brings the bishop to open shame and through his shame to open rebellion his rebellion takes the form of answering to all she says you have broken my heart and so sending her from him by mere refusal to be actively engaged in controversy or even to be actively scolded in this exile she suddenly dies but i for one cannot rejoice in mrs prudy's untimely taking off for when you have her at second hand a scold is purely amusing besides this there is a pathos in her death which throws all her character into a softened relief she dies partly because she does not know what else to do she has finally and utterly failed with the man she has always loved 
in the method she has always successfully used with him and she waits bewildered and anguished for some break of his intangibility in which she can take hold of him again in the old way while she waits her spiritual pang translates itself into a physical pang and she dies of heart disease she is no longer needed she cumbers the man whom she has so valiantly championed even against his own comfort and quiet she will be missed for a while but she will not be truly lamented she will be a mischief taken out of the world i call this all very touching and it reflects a light upon her whole story which keeps me from seeing her altogether hateful and harmful two the moral and ecclesiastical struggle in which mrs prudy closes with josiah crawley is the beginning of the end with her as the reader will find somewhat overduly recorded in the last chronicle of barset that is a book largely imagined and in places amply realized which as a whole fails as distinctly of being a masterpiece as any great novel i know of trollope's second-hand vice of twaddling thackeray wise over his characters and situations comes to the worst in it where the fag ends of the barchester series are gathered together in a loose and feeble intrigue the tremendous conception of crawley's tragedy is suffered to become part and parcel of the prevailing weakness through the author's willingness to eke out the interest by delaying the denouement so long but if that tragedy alone could have been openly treated and crawley studied solely in his relation to the other human particles it magnetically attracted the book would have been one of the great fictions of the world as it is second-rate and third-rate though it is still it has the fascination which that pure sad half-mad soul never fails to exercise whenever he appears on the scene with the dreadful accusation of theft which he falls under after passing a cheque which he seems to have come by unlawfully but which he cannot remember how he came by he alone gives the story cohesion and unity and it is his sorrow and his shame which bring mrs prudy in enmity upon him when the magistrates his old friends and fellow-clergymen are constrained to commit him upon the charge to which he has laid himself open mrs prudy decides that it is high time the bishop should take some action concerning him and she requires the poor bishop to summon him to the palace and make him show cause why he should not be suspended from his perpetual curacy at hogglestock until a jury of his countrymen shall have acquitted him of the charge then crawley being too poor to pay for a carriage walks the long road from hogglestock to barchester in the cold and wet and presents himself to his spiritual superior but the superior of his spiritual superior is there also to receive the threadbare muddy majestic man and the scene that follows is the representation of her determination to force herself into an affair which is none of hers and his determination to keep her out of it you are very punctual mr crawley said the bishop 
mr crawley simply bowed his head still keeping his hands beneath his cloak will you not take a chair nearer to the fire mr crawley had not seated himself but had placed himself in front of a chair at the extreme end of the room resolved that he would not use it unless he were duly asked thank you my lord he said i am warm with walking and if you please will avoid the fire hitherto mrs prudy had not said a word she stood back in the room near the fire more backward a good deal than she was accustomed to do when clergymen made their ordinary visits on such occasions she would come forward and shake hands with them graciously graciously even if proudly but she had felt that she must do nothing of that kind now there must be no shaking hands with a man who had stolen a cheque for twenty pounds i hope your wife and children are well mr crawley i have felt for mrs crawley very deeply said mrs prudy mr crawley had made up his mind that as long as it was possible he would ignore the presence of mrs prudy altogether and therefore he made no sign that he had heard the latter remark it has been most unfortunate continued the bishop far be it from me to express an opinion upon the matter which will have to come before a jury of your countrymen it is enough for me to know that the magistrates assembled at silverbridge gentlemen to whom no doubt you must be known as most of them live in your neighbourhood have heard evidence upon the subject most convincing evidence said mrs prudy interrupting her husband mr crawley's black brow became a little blacker as he heard the word but still he ignored the woman he not only did not speak but did not turn his eye upon her you would have been put in prison mr crawley because the magistrates were of opinion that you had taken mr solmes's cheque said mrs prudy on this occasion he did look at her he turned one glance upon her from under his eyebrows but he did not speak with all that i have nothing to do said the bishop nothing whatever my lord said mr crawley but bishop i think that you had said mrs prudy the judgment formed by the magistrates as to the conduct of one of your clergymen makes it imperative upon you to act in the matter yes my dear yes i am coming to that what mrs prudy says is perfectly true it is undoubtedly the fact that you must at the next assizes surrender yourself at the court-house yonder to be tried for this offence against the laws that is true if i be alive my lord and have strength sufficient i shall be there you must be there said mrs prudy the police will look to that mr crawley she was becoming very angry in that the man would not answer her a word on this occasion again he did not even look at her under these circumstances continued the bishop looking to the welfare of your parish to the welfare of the diocese and allow me to say mr crawley to the welfare of yourself also and especially to the souls of the people said mrs prudy the bishop paused and mr crawley bowed his head i therefore sent over to you a gentleman with whom i am well acquainted mr fumble with a letter from myself in which i endeavoured to impress upon you without the use of any severe language what my convictions were 
mr thumble brought me back your written reply continued the bishop by which i was grieved to find that you were not willing to submit yourself to my counsel in the matter i was most unwilling my lord submission to authority is at times a duty and at times opposition to authority is a duty also opposition to usurped authority is an imperative duty said mr crawley and who is to be the judge demanded mrs prudy then there was silence for a while when as mr crawley made a reply the lady repeated her question will you be pleased to answer my question sir who in such a case is to be the judge but mr crawley did not please to answer her question the man is obstinate said mrs prudy i forget where i was said the bishop oh mr thumble came back and i received your letter of course i received it and i was surprised to learn from that that in spite of what had occurred at silverbridge you were still anxious to continue the usual sunday ministrations in your church had i been mr thumble said mrs prudy i would have read from that desk and i would have preached from that pulpit mr crawley waited a moment thinking that the bishop might perhaps speak again but as he did not but sat expectant as though he had finished his discourse and now expected a reply mr crawley got up from his seat and drew near to the table my lord he began it has all been just as you have said the circumstances are strong against me and though your lordship has altogether misunderstood the nature of the duty performed by the magistrates in sending my case for trial although as it seems to me you have come to conclusions in this matter in ignorance of the very theory of our laws sir said mrs prudy yet i can foresee the probability that a jury may discover me to have been guilty of theft of course the jury will do so said mrs prudy but till that time shall come my lord i shall hold my own at hogglestock as you hold your own here at barchester you defy us then said mrs prudy my lord i grant your authority as bishop to be great but even a bishop can only act as the law allows him god forbid that i should do more said the bishop sir you will find that your wicked threats will fall back upon your own head said mrs prudy peace woman mr crawley said addressing her at last the bishop jumped out of his chair at hearing the wife of his bosom called a woman but he jumped rather in admiration than in anger he had already begun to perceive that mr crawley was a man who had better be left to take care of the souls at hogglestock at any rate till the trial should come on woman said mrs prudy rising to her feet as though she really intended some personal encounter madam said mr crawley you should not interfere in these matters you simply debase your husband's high office the distaff were more fitting for you my lord good morning and before either of them could speak again 
he was out of the room and through the hall and beyond the gate and standing beneath the towers of the cathedral three after all i find that it is rather the character of josiah crawley than of mrs prudy which is developed in the foregoing scene in another scene she suffers a like defeat at the hands of the topping dr tempest one of the chief clergy at barchester whom she attempts to instruct in his duty respecting mr crawley he too ignores her presence and if he does so with less majestic dignity than crawley he brings the bishop a yet keener sense of his degradation through his wife the bishop did not again speak a word of kindness to her and he tried not to speak to her at all you have broken my heart he said again and again her own efforts to bring him back to something like life to some activity of mind if not of body were made constantly and when she failed as she did fail day after day she would go slowly to her own room and lock her door and look back in her solitude at all the days of her life she had agonies in these minutes of which no one near her knew anything she would seize with her arm the part of the bed near which she would stand and hold by it grasping it as though she were afraid to fall and then when it was at the worst with her she would go to her closet a closet that no eyes ever saw unlocked but her own and fill for herself and swallow some draught and then she would sit down with the bible before her and read it sedulously she spent hours every day with her bible before her repeating to herself whole chapters which she almost knew by heart it cannot be said that she was a bad woman though she had in her time done an indescribable amount of evil she still longed to rule the diocese by means of her husband but was made to pause and hesitate by the unwanted mood that had fallen upon him when crawley at last wrote resigning his perpetual curacy she determined to rouse the bishop to action but when she went to speak with him he would not look at her why do you not turn round and speak to me properly she said i do not want to speak to you at all the bishop answered this was very bad almost anything would be better than this he was sitting now over the fire with his elbows on his knees and his face buried in his hands she had gone round the room so as to face him and was now standing almost over him but still she could not see his countenance this will not do at all she said my dear do you know that you are forgetting yourself altogether i wish i could forget myself and now he got up and looked at her for a moment he stood upon his legs and then again he sat down with his face turned towards her it is the truth you have brought on me such disgrace that i cannot hold up my head you have ruined me i wish i were dead and it is all through you that i am driven to wish it of all that she had suffered in her life this was the worst she clasped both her hands to her side as she listened to him and for a minute or two she made no reply bishop she said the words that you speak are sinful very sinful you have made them sinful he replied i will not hear that from you i will not indeed 
i have endeavoured to do my duty by you and i do not deserve it all i want of you is that you should arouse yourself and go to your work i could do my work very well he said if you were not here i suppose then you wish i were dead said mrs prudy to this he made no reply nor did he stir himself how could flesh and blood bear this female flesh and blood mrs prudy's flesh and blood now at last her temper once more got the better of her judgment probably much to her immediate satisfaction and she spoke out i tell you what it is my lord if you are imbecile i must be active it is very sad that i should have to assume your authority i will not allow you to assume my authority what do you mean to say to mr thumble when you see him that is nothing to you she came up to him and put her hand upon his shoulder and spoke to him very gently tom she said is that the way in which you speak to your wife yes it is you have driven me to it why have you taken upon yourself to send that man to hogglestock because it was right to do so i came to you for instructions and you would give none i should have given what instructions i pleased in proper time thumble shall not go to hogglestock next sunday who shall go then never mind nobody it does not matter to you if you will leave me now i shall be obliged to you there will be an end of all this very soon very soon mrs prudy after this stood for a while thinking what she would say but she left the room without uttering another word as she looked at him a hundred different thoughts came into her mind she had loved him dearly and she loved him still but she knew now at this moment felt absolutely sure that by him she was hated in spite of all her roughness and temper mrs prudy was in this like other women that she would fain have been loved had it been possible she had always meant to serve him she was conscious of that conscious also in a way that although she had been industrious although she had been faithful although she was clever yet she had failed at the bottom of her heart she knew that she had been a bad wife and yet she had meant to be a pattern wife she was preparing to go up to her chamber with her hand on the banisters and with her foot on the stairs when she saw the servant who had answered the bishop's bell john c said when mr thumble comes to the palace let me see him before he goes to my lord then mrs prudy went upstairs to her chamber and locked her door mr thumble returned to barchester that day leading the broken-down cob and a dreadful walk he had john was peremptory with him insisting that he must wait first upon mrs prudy and then upon the bishop mr thumble might perhaps have turned a deaf ear to the latter command but the former was one which he felt himself bound to obey so he entered the palace rather cross very much soiled as to his outer man and in this condition went up a certain small staircase which was familiar to him to a small parlour which adjoined mrs prudy's room and there awaited the arrival of the lady mrs prudy's own maid mrs draper by name came to him and said that she had knocked twice at mrs prudy's door and would knock again two minutes after that she returned running into the room with her arms extended and exclaiming oh heavens sir 
mistress is dead mr thumble hardly knowing what he was about followed the woman into the bedroom and there he found himself standing awestruck before the corpse of her who had so lately been the presiding spirit of the palace the body was still resting on its legs leaning against the end of the side of the bed while one of the arms was clasped around the bedpost the mouth was rigidly closed but the eyes were open as though staring at him nevertheless there could be no doubt from the first glance that the woman was dead he went up close to it but did not dare to touch it there was no one as yet there but he and mrs draper no one else knew what had happened four the type of mere termagant is not hard to catch but the woman who is conscientious as well as arrogant who means well to those she most wrongs and outrages is one of those mixed characters far more difficult to achieve and it is such a woman who constitutes the author's triumph in mrs prudy one cannot say she is his greatest triumph a cloud of witnesses would rise in protest if one said that there would be lady glencora palliser lady laura kennedy mrs phineas finn madalina damelines miss dunstable and the various heroines of orley farm the bertrams can you forgive her is he popinjoy he knew he was right and many others to gainsay so bold a claim yet in spite of them is not mrs prudy after lily dale the woman character who remains most distinct in the memories of trollope's readers i have been wondering all through my writing of him whether the readers of trollope are of that commanding class which they once were and sadly doubting once there is no question but he had the largest number of authoritative readers but for how long a time or just when it would not be easy to say i suspect his supremacy was brief and that it could be ascertained only for that bright moment when thackeray was editing the cornhill magazine and trollope was writing its serial but his popularity extended all through the eighteen sixties and well into the seventies from the time fixed by his cornhill story i forget which of his stories it was thackeray had then done all his great novels and though dickens had still several of his prodigious fantasies before him it is doubtful if he was to deepen or even widen the impression he had already made charles reed was synchronously coruscating in his most brilliant pin-wheeling and sky-rocketing but like dickens he was confirming rather than forming his public george eliot's greatest work came a little later and in middlemarch she pushed trollope from the throne which she then held until her declining powers made the accession of mr thomas hardy easy for his unquestionable mastery but during the period covered by our civil war say from eighteen sixty one till eighteen sixty five trollope reigned and no one i think can say that he was unworthy to reign each of the great contemporary english novelists represented an english world and thackeray's english world did not differ more from dickens's than from reed's or george eliot's but trollope without seeking subjects for ironical satire or surprising transformation or dazzling discovery or morbid analysis represented the english world as it appeared to him in its normal moods of high and low mindedness 
vicious virtuous dull amusing respectable and disreputable wise and foolish but in all its varieties entirely and for the most part unconsciously english one need not recur to carlyle saying that trollope could never lack for character so long as there were thirty millions of people in great britain mostly boors for that is as false and wrong-headed as nearly all carlyle's odd captandum criticism and hawthorne saying that a novel of trollope's is like a piece of earth under the microscope with all the life active upon it imparts an erring sense of dimensions if a telescope of prodigious power could be trained from somewhere in space upon the british isles so that their people could be seen life-size that would offer some such effect as we get in trollope's fiction he had not enough or he had too much imagination to conceive of representing his fellow-subjects in the mid-years of the victorian reign other than as he knew them and he neither extenuated nor aught set down in malice concerning them if this is true of the men it is still truer of the women at a time when thackeray was caricaturing or sentimentalizing them when dickens was translating them into pretty or hideous monsters when reed was portraying them as impassioned or perfidious pusses and when george eliot was idealizing them in her romolas or persecuting them in her gwendolens and rosamonds trollope was doing his period the incalculable service of anticipating instantaneous photography in his likenesses of victorian maids wives and widows in endless variety his work is all so true and artistic that one cannot trace in it the presence of any favourite type of woman the women are such women as each scheme necessarily involves good bad and indifferent fair plain and middling wise and foolish high and low the camera treats them all alike fairly and the spectator is the richer by its impartiality upon the whole i should be inclined to place trollope among the very first of those supreme novelists to whom the ever womanly has revealed itself he has not shown the subtlest sense of womanhood his portraits do not impart the last the most exquisite joy it is not the very soul of the sex that shows itself in them but it is the mind the heart the conscience the manner and this is for one painter enough let jane austen catch their ultimate charm and george eliot their ultimate truth and hawthorne their farther most meanings and intimations trollope has shown them as we mostly see them when we meet them in society and as we know them at home and if it were any longer his to choose he might well rest content with his work for my part i wish i might send my readers to the long line of his wise just sane novels which i have been visiting anew for the purposes of these papers and finding as delightful as ever and thanks to extraordinary gifts for forgetting almost as fresh as ever end of section twenty eight